0: Thanks, Daryl. It's good to be uh, back with you, and good that Michael has an opportunity uh, to be away this weekend. We're in a drought. And I heard yesterday the drought's been about a year and a half. Now I'm not a meteorologist, so I'm not exactly sure what all is going on. I've heard about La Nina weather patterns. I know that when there's a high pressure, uh, it's not going to rain for us. But I want to tell you that way back, In the time of Elijah, Israel was in a drought that went three and a half years, and it didn't rain one drop for three and a half years. And for the king, Ahab, who was a very wicked man, not a good king at all, and actually his wife didn't make him better. Her name was Jezebel. She actually made him worse. He knew the reason for the drought. The reason for the drought was the prophet Elijah, because one day the prophet Elijah came to him and said uh, that it is not going to rain For the next few years until I give my word. And sure enough, the heavens shut up. And people may not have known why it didn't rain, but Ahab knew it was Elijah. And I think Elijah knew. Elijah knew that really the drought was, in his mind, a fulfillment of God's promise. In Deuteronomy, when they're getting ready to move into the promised land, God says, Now if you forget me and if you start worshiping other gods, I'm going to shut up the heavens. And it's not going to rain. And Elijah knew that and took God at God's promise. And so because of their wickedness and serving other gods, Elijah, knowing the word of God in Moses, uh, knew why it wasn't raining because of their wickedness. And also because of the God that they worshipped. His name was Baal need you to know a few things about Baal. Baal was not just worshipped in uh, the promised land. Baal was worshipped many places. Baal was the god of fertility, and uh, with his consort, uh, Ashtarte, the two of them uh, supposedly brought rain and fertility. And Baal would go underground, according to the myth, every, November, uh, every um, uh, May and not come out until November. And so in order to make Baal come out, what you had to do was offer him blood. And the kind of blood that Baal really liked was the blood of child sacrifice. And so those who worship Baal practiced child sacrifice. One of the, the civilizations that worshiped Baal was Carthage. Remember Hannibal and the uh, Carthaginians? Archaeologists have found 750,000 uh, bodies that were sacrificed to Baal. Six stories deep it goes. And Elijah knew this was war. This God that called on people to sacrifice their children. This God that called on you to consort uh, and associate with temple prostitutes so that Baal and Astarte would get fired up by watching this action and that they would come and bring fertilization to the planet. This God had to be stopped. So Elijah was uh, declaring war on this God. Elijah was really something. And what happened was it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then God told Elijah, all right, I'm going to bring rain. So get the people together. So this is what happened. God uh, had Elijah get the people and the false prophets of Baal together at Mount Carmel. There are 450, and this is what God's word says in, in 1 Kings 18. So Elijah appeared before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If, God, if the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the people said Nothing. Time out. About 300 years earlier, Joshua had gathered the people together there in the promised land and said, Choose this day whom you will serve. And their answer was a resounding, We'll serve the Lord. And 300 years later, they are dead silent. So Elijah continues and says, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. There are 450 prophets of Baal. Go get us two bulls. Let the prophets of Baal choose a bull. Let them cut it into pieces. Put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl. Put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of my God. And the God who answers with fire, well, he is God. What you say is good, said the people, finally speaking up. And so you may know the story. What happened was they call on their God, and and their God, Baal, doesn't answer. And Elijah starts saying, well, maybe he's just asleep, or maybe he's in the bathroom, but, but he's not answering, and he taunts them. Then finally the prophets of Baal start cutting themselves, bleeding, trying to get Baal to respond, and nothing happens. And as you may know the story, Elijah calls on God, and God answers with fire from heaven. And lights the sacrifice. And then after this, we continue in verse 46. Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone escape. Take them to the Kishon Valley and slaughter them there. And then he looked at the wicked king Ahab and said, go eat and drink. For I hear the sound of rain is near. So Ahab left. But Elijah climbed back to the top of Mount Carmel. And put his, bent to the ground and put his face between his knees. He's praying. And then he said to his servant, go look at the sea. His servant went and looked and said, there's nothing there. Seven times he sent his servant, go back. On the seventh time, the servant returned and said, I see a cloud rising above the sea about the size of a man's hand. Go tell King Ahab, said Elijah, to hitch up his chariot. And go down before the rain stops him. And so the clouds, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind arose and a heavy rain began to fall. And Ahab and his chariot headed off for Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. He tucked his cloak inside his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Elijah, friends, is a very impressive man. A very impressive man. There's a lot to like about Elijah. One of the things I like about him is is, um, 800 years later, Jesus said to his disciples, Who are people saying I am? What are they saying about me? And one of the answers is, They say, You're Elijah. Well, Elijah must really be something if they compare Jesus and Elijah. And my personal favorite thing about Elijah, God told him one time to go make a disciple and find one, and he went and found a bald-headed guy. His name is Elisha and made him his servant. And Elisha, in his life, did almost twice as many miracles as Elijah did. He did 13, Elijah did 7. And he'd asked God to help him have twice the spirit of Elijah. And then what happens is uh, they buried Elisha's bones in the ground, and a dead person came into contact with his bones and got raised from the dead, so it made an even 14, twice as many as Elijah a lot to um, admire about Elijah when we talk about the Jesus way. But I want to focus on this story for a moment and tell you this guy is fearless and he is fired up. He's fearless. He tears down the, uh, the altars to Baal, who's the god of the whole nation now and has 450 prophets. And in fact, most of God's prophets have been killed or they've gone into hiding. He's fearless though. And he rebuilds the altar to the one true God, Yahweh. But he's also extremely intensely passionate. Uh, this is an amazing story that I, I just told you and read to you. This, this, uh, this is what happens. He climbs up Mount Carmel, which is 2,200 feet, but uh, he doesn't have hiking boots. And, and Mount Carmel is famous for being very uh, poor traction uh, because of the rocks. And I, I've climbed it, and, and it's a pain. He climbs up 2,200 feet. Then he slaughters a bull. Now, I'm not in the meatpacking industry, but I think that might take a little while. To do that by yourself. Then he taunts the people. And then he prays to God. Fire comes. He goes down the mountain. Leads them in killing all the false prophets. And then climbs back up. To pray for rain. Then he goes back down. And runs to Jezreel. Which from Mount Carmel is 18.6 miles. He runs ahead of the chariot all the way. This guy is intense. That's amazing. I was uh, first at Mount Carmel in 1999, and our leader, Ray Vanderland, just so we got a feel for Elijah, made us climb the mountain, climb Mount Carmel. That was tough. And then he made us climb back down. Well, that wasn't great either. And then he said, just so you know what it's like, we're going to climb it again. And when I went back in 2007, we climbed up. We climbed back down. Then he looked at his watch, and he said, "Ah, it's going to get dark soon. We don't have climbed to. Time to climb back up. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Because that is a tough climb. Up and down, up and down. Then an 18.6 mile ride. This guy's incredible. He is passionate. He is on fire. And when you talk about the Jesus way, passion and fire should not be forgotten. And when you talk about Lent, which we're in now, passion for uh, God and willingness to sacrifice God. Anybody giving up something for Lent? Anybody? Yeah, a few of us. Yeah, there we go. I mean, that sort of passion, that's appropriate. But there's a footnote to the story from the rabbis. And when I say the rabbis, this is uh, the people who taught from about 200 years before Jesus to about 200 years after Jesus in the Mishnah. This is what they said. If you look carefully at the story, God may not have sent Elijah to Ahab and say it didn't rain. Elijah may have just known God's word so well that he knew the promise from Deuteronomy 11 that if you worship false gods, it's not going to rain. And he may have gone to King Ahab on his own and says, look, this is in God's word, and this is what's going to happen. And God honored that. But here's what's interesting. God then sent Elijah far away to the brook uh, Kirith. Uh, Two reasons, probably one, to hide because Ahab and Jezebel had killed every other prophet of God. But maybe there was something else. He took him to a brook, and in the drought, the brook dried up. There was no food. He had to be fed by ravens, which is miraculous to be sure, but it's also, if you're an observant Jew, it makes you unclean when an unclean animal is bringing your dinner. And then he got sent, this unclean prophet now, to a widow who, because of the drought, was down to her very last meal. The rabbis say, and I think they might be on to something. What's going on here is God saying, Elijah, I love your passion. You are so pumped up for my word, and you are so pumped up to have people obey me. That is really cool, and that was neat to hold me to my word and make it, say it isn't going to rain. But look at what happens to the people when it doesn't rain. Look at the cost in human lives when widows are about to die, when children don't have enough food. I think... What's going on here is God says, Elijah, I love your passion, but it needs to be matched by compassion. Elijah, I love the way you love my word and you follow it. But, Elijah, you have to be just as fired up about loving other people. Passion must be met with compassion. If you don't have passion, you'll you'll burn out. If you don't have passion, you won't be able to skip chocolate for more than two or three weeks. And then you'll break down. If you don't have passion, you'll get tired of coming early to the hospitality team. So passion is necessary. But on the other hand, if you don't have compassion, then you may end up hurting the very people God sent you to reach. You may hurt the very people God sent you to save. You may hurt the very people that God loves just as much as God loves you sometimes our attitude toward people who aren't on the Jesus way is, is as wicked as the people's uh, way not walking the Jesus way. God said, your passion for me has got to be matched by your compassion for others. James and John, do you remember them? The two very close disciples of Jesus. They were brothers. And one day they were walking with Jesus and a town refused Jesus. They didn't want him to come into their town. unbelievable. And so James and John knew the Bible, and they were passionate about Jesus and passionate about the Bible. And they remembered last time that God got refused. God sent down fire and burned the place up. So James and John say to Jesus, Do you want us to set this town on fire? Do you want us to call God to send fire down like on Mount Carmel? To send fire down like on Sodom and Gomorrah? Basically, do you want us to do what it says in the Bible? And Jesus says, No, to James and John. He's trying to teach them that I love that you're passionate for me, but don't forget about the people. We must love them as much as we love God. The Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And then when Jesus was asked the great commandment, he added this to it, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God, love for neighbor must always go together. No matter how wicked, no matter how abusive, no matter how far off the Jesus path someone is, we love them. A metaphor that has helped me a lot in life is the metaphor like this. When people are walking far from God's path, when they have sunk deep into sin or error of one kind that has hurt them and hurt others, they have fallen into the hands. Of the enemy, Satan, the evil one. Now, if someone from your nation had fallen into the hands of the enemy, they would be called a POW. When you raided the POW camp, would you shoot them? Of course not. No one shoots their own POWs. They free them and release them. Sometimes, I think, in our passion for God, we actually end up shooting people who, yes, they're not on the Jesus way, but they've been imprisoned. Our job is not to shoot them, but to free them. Our job is not to point out everything they've done wrong, so much it is to point out all that Jesus has done for them and to do what we can on behalf of them. I love Elijah he was so fired up for god but i love what god would teach him and what jesus would embody which is yes be fired up for god but don't forget to be fired up for people as well let us pray god of love and power and mercy all of us have struggled lord and from time to time wandered from your path we're so grateful that you have in your mercy spared us and loved us. May we do the same for others. In your son's name, amen.